Welcome to the Five Good Ideas podcast, where we rebroadcast some of the best sessions of Maitri's popular program. My name is Elizabeth McIsaac, president of Maitri. We are a Toronto-based organization committed to exploring solutions to poverty in Canada using a human rights approach. For each session of Five Good Ideas, we invite an expert from the nonprofit or corporate sector to share five practical ideas on a key management issue facing nonprofit organizations today. In this session, originally recorded on May 6, 2020, we invited back Christine Yip as a presenter to share her five good ideas about maintaining morale while managing a remote team. Earlier this year, Christine presented on how individuals, managers, and organizations can create psychologically safe workplaces. It's session four of the season, and you can find it in the archives. Since Christine's first presentation, our workplace has changed. Many of us started to work and continue to work from home and stay connected with our colleagues through digital tools. Or we work on the front line, but still need to connect with colleagues and staff who are working remotely. We've been at it for many months now, and it looks like it might be a while before we can all return to our offices. It's definitely not easy and it can be frustrating. So in this new session, Christine looks at how to handle some of the more challenging aspects of working from home and managing a remote team. Christine is the founder of Organizations for Impact, a management consultancy that works across sectors to build more inclusive, psychologically safe and empowering workplace cultures. Here is Christine Yip with her five good ideas. I know that it is a crazy time and everyone's spending their days and nights uh, logging in and out of Zoom calls, <laughs> Zoom calls for work, Zoom calls with family, um, Zoom calls for, you know, teaching your kids, you know, doing homeschooling with your kids or doing yoga classes or whatever it is. So Zoom calls for everything. So I appreciate the time um, to come in and log into this and, and share some, some learnings about how we sort of move forward in this new sort of mo remote world. Um, I just want to set the context quickly. So, you know, while remote work isn't um, new, uh, working remotely with a pandemic is new. Um, so although there's a lot of things that we know already about managing remote teams, um, contextualizing it in this circumstance is really important. Um, I think one big takeaway many of us have from this situation is that more, more companies can work remotely than we have been in the past. And the technology is there to work remotely. Um, and I think now that we're all in here, it's important to step back and say, okay, so now that we know that we can do it from a technological perspective, how do we actually put in some of those best practice management, um, management practices in order to do so in a way that we can still provide support to our teams, kind of build confidence in our teams and also kind of achieve what we're our objectives in our work. So that's kind of the purpose of today. So just for a little context on my experience um, with virtual teams. Um, yeah, so I have been um, working in a remote, uh, semi-remote way for probably my whole career. Um, I studied kind of telework and remote teams back when I was doing, um, you know, my, my education in organizational psychology. And then since then, working as a consultant, um, I've often had international and national clients where I work um, either remotely at times, but sometimes kind of on site. 
in the last few years, kind of running my own business. I work with, I've worked with clients who run a pure virtual workforce. So no sort of at home, um, no at office work. And then in the last eight weeks, along with all of you, I have gone hundred percent remote. Um, I teach a course that had to go hundred percent remote. So kind of managing through that transition as well. So what I'm going to be doing is um, kind of presenting through five ideas that kind of a culmination of what we know from research and evidence and what has been studied on kind of best practices of remote team management, what I've learned in my experience working remotely, and then what I've learned and what I've heard and kind of spoken to about with other colleagues over the last eight weeks about what works and what doesn't um, in regards to the situation we're in. And I think that's an important point that we're all still learning. So I wanted to start with what do we know about managing remote teams? So what do we know from sort of what's been studied and what are some kind of best practices to this point? Um, because really managing remote teams is around sort of balancing sort of the benefits that could come from it as well as the risk. So I just wanted to start quickly with the benefits. So we know that working remotely um, results in sort of reduced commuting time, fewer interruptions at work, which as Liz talked about at the beginning, increases productivity. There is evidence to show that teams and individuals who work remotely are more productive. Um, there's also an increase in opportunity for flexibility and autonomy. So you have more control in how your work is done and you could kind of manage your schedule um, in a little bit. And you're a little bit more free to manage your schedule. And, and in the past, this has often been one of the reasons why many companies have offered kind of flexible and remote work. It was really looked at as sort of like a benefit to a benefit to offer employees to accommodate for a certain scheduling needs, but also um, to reward kind of high performing employees as well. Um, there's also a higher, a better opportunity to sort of have that better work life integration. So in the past, when, you know, you have to be at the office from nine to five, any of your personal stuff you sort of have to do after. Now, when you're working from home, you could sort of, you know, be on a call and get stuff done while you're maybe like putting some stuff away around the house or doing laundry, you can sort of integrate those um, activities together in a way that sort of suits you. And um, then obviously, from an organizational perspective, remote working is a cost reduction strategy in some cases. So a lot of organizations have been moving more towards this because they save space and having to have sort of an office for every single person. Um, so what are the risks? So again, with every benefit, there's sort of a risk on the other side that needs to be managed. So again, increased productivity also means um, increased risk of burnout. Uh, we don't have, we, Liz and I were talking about this at the beginning of the call, but we don't have, you don't have those kind of natural nudges in your day that say, okay, it's six o'clock, everyone's leaving the office, it's time to go. Um, you know, moving from work and from home is a much harder thing when work is home. So really having those sort of um, environmental cues aren't really there anymore. So you tend, you could overwork and this can increase your kind of risk of burnout. There's also the increased risk of social isolation. Although interruptions can be bad for your productivity, a lot of times those interruptions are very, you know, well needed, you know, little breaks and little kind of social interactions with your team. Um, and we know that social support is a huge buffer against burn burnout caused by sort of long working hours and high pressure work. And so not having that can put a real risk to individuals working. And just like we can get better work-life integration, it's also, you know, the risk is that we don't have those boundaries between work and life, as I talked about. And I think from an organizational perspective, a lot of organizations who haven't been doing remote work up to this point 
there is sort of a cultural element of people saying, oh, well, we need more FaceTime. We need to get our work done. And getting our work done means being, you know, having that FaceTime. And there's also this element of making sure people are working. So from an organizational perspective, not having that FaceTime might seem like a negative. Um, and then as well as reduced access to information. One of the things when you're physically in the same office is you have these sort of informal conversations where you learn things about your work, where you share information informally that you might not be getting through email or through a formal meeting. So you're kind of cutting off that, that, that kind of that vehicle of information flow that was once there before. And I think the other important thing is even in meetings, um, we often get information through what people are saying, but there's also sort of that implicit communication or that informal communication that happens. Um, that's not really this nonverbal communication that you can sort of understand if someone's upset or how they're feeling by being in person. So that is something that we don't have. So the, the objective of really managing remote work is being able to kind of get the benefits of it, but also making sure to manage across those risks to make sure that we're, we're, we're managing for those and we're keeping those in mind. So I've outlined kind of five, five ideas that um, I think are, are really the most important. There's a lot of things we could kind of talk about, but really the five things that I think are the most important to think about right now. So the first is really around being clear about your expectations and setting realistic expectations. So this is really about um, sort of managing uncertainty for your team. Right now, there's a lot of uncertainty in what the future holds. So making sure that you're very clear about what's expected at work gives them some level of certainty and stability in their everyday um, and then there's also the other side of this, which is to be realistic about expectations. Obviously, right now, yes, people are at home and can work longer than they pretend, like theoretically can work longer, but there's a lot of extra demands on people's plates, which include for a lot of people with kids, um, having their kids at home, their partners at home. Some some people might, some people's partners might have, or teenage kids might have kind of lost their job during this. So that's more pressure on there. And there's also sort of issues with, um, just stress and anxiety that are resulting in people sort of losing focus and not being able to just put as much output out there. Um, so, you know, I think really having those two-way conversations with your team about what is possible to achieve when, you know, what is the, like, what are the expectations? When is the deadline? Like, what, what can we expect to get done? Really looking at as sort of like a negotiation between what, what do you think is possible? And then also providing that timely feedback. Um, so you don't all, you know, as, as a manager, you might not always know exactly what you want at the end of a task. And sometimes it's a little bit iterative. So making sure to check in with your team members as, you know, tasks are being kind of done in the background and just check in on how things are going and give that kind of timely, smaller feedback to continue to clarify that direction. And I think an important element for people who are new to working remotely is really to focus on the outputs of their work rather than the hours worked. Um, if, if one of the ways that you're used to kind of judging how well someone is performing is how long they've been at the office, which is, you know, in the not-for-profit sector, it's probably less common than in the for-profit sector, but that really isn't what that's in this circumstance, that's really not what's important. And you can't be because if you're starting to sort of get too involved in how people are working, especially in this scenario, it could, um, you know, there's that risk of micromanaging. And we all know micromanaging is sort of a, a morale killer. So we want to be trusting of how things get done and really let go of that control, but and really try to focus on what is the quality of the output, which is why being clear about those expectations is really important. 
Um, the second kind of big idea or the second kind of piece of advice would be, you know, being flexible and respecting boundaries. Um, so I think what's really important is demonstrating empathy and compassion. So even if you kind of sat, you know, you've clarified exactly what you want, when you want it, and you've had that two-way conversation and you're checking in, given all of the challenges that we're facing on our day-to-day, it's likely that, you know, you, you know, the expectations were set that weren't really realistic and that's okay. Cause we're learning. So how do you, you know, and things can come up that people don't necessarily have, have not necessarily planned for. So how do you actually um, demonstrate that empathy? So an example that I could give some, from sort of my experience. So when I was, I, I mentioned before I had been teaching a class um, at, at York that now is virtual and it was right during the beginning of kind of the, the pandemic and I had a paper due in, in the class. So my students had to submit a paper to me. And one student emailed me and she was like, it's going to be late and I have no reason. I've just had really, it's been really hard to focus. Um, and I think in, in pre-pandemic um, world, that might not have been an excuse that I would have said, okay, you know, you won't get the late penalty. But in this circumstance, it was because I understand that it is hard to focus when it feels like the world around everything in the world around you is changing. So um, really trying to find ways to sort of be compassionate. Um, the second item is um, adopt, accommodating to scheduling needs. Obviously, especially with parents, um, people have to be very creative with their schedule and parents have to switch off and kind of have shifts of when they're working with the kids and when they're scheduled and, and when they're, when they're actually working on their work. So I think managers to kind of, you know, sit with each of your team members or, or at least have some conversations around what are your unique scheduling needs and how do we sort of work together and what are yours, even as a leader, what are your scheduling needs and how do you sort of have that conversation to make sure to set those expectations early. Um, and then the third point is really important about respecting those kind of on the clock hours. Um, you know, if you know that your team member isn't working from like two to five, but they're going to be picking it back up at eight o'clock because of sort of managing childcare or other care responsibilities, you know, it might, and, and you're working in that time, it might, you might want to be sending emails to them, even though you know that they're not on the clock. And I think even virtually, if someone was taking a break in the office, you wouldn't go to them and start listing out everything you need to do. So I think making sure virtually you're respecting those boundaries. Um, I often use the schedule send button in my Gmail. So even though I want to check off the send the email on my to-do list, I'll just schedule it when I know um, the other person is working so that I'm not giving them a notification when I know that they need that time, that they're not working in that time, or at least they need that time off. Um, so the third is about communication. Obviously, a lot of this stuff is really getting back to the basics of good management. We know communication is always important. And I think there's some best practices of communication that, um, you know, when you're when you're in a meeting and you you assign some action items, you know, you always make sure to send an email after just to clarify what those are. I think in a virtual environment, having that sort of rigor and cadence with how you communicate, making sure you're using those multiple channels um, is really important to kind of close any gaps in communication that you might um, end up, you know, in, in the office, you might just like swing by someone's, you know, cubicle, and then you have that clarification conversation there that doesn't happen anymore. So how do you put in that structure to be able to ensure that those gaps are sort of closed? Um, another important one is making sure the medium matches the message. And again, this doesn't, this isn't advice that's just for kind of remote working pandemic specific work scenarios, but I think it's more important that, 
you know, we have a lot of ways we could communicate. So we have email, we have chat, we have phone call, we have Zoom call, um, you know, text message, there's all these different ways. And there are norms and kind of best practices about what kind of messaging and what kind of communication gets sent through what sort of medium. So if you have a more constructive kind of performance, you know, email to send someone or to, you know, that's something a little bit more sensitive, it's better to in those cases to kind of pick up the phone and call someone because it that's sensitive for, for information and receiving an email that potentially has kind of constructive feedback could come off um, as very negative. And so being on a phone call with someone gives you that opportunity to sort of manage those emotions. Um, and also being careful not to over communicate. So there's sort of two sides on this. On the one side, without your team around you, you might be sort of wanting to keep them engaged and keep everyone kind of on track. And so there might be a desire to oh, check in like all the time, but you want to, again, manage kind of that micromanaging. I think people can feel if they're being policed and that definitely impacts people's morale and their desire to want to work and want to kind of, um, yeah, to, it just kind of erodes that trust. But then on the other side of it, there's also this this idea of not over collaborating. So jumping on a Zoom call with the whole team every day could be quite exhausting. It might not actually be the best way to kind of discuss it, you know, whatever. In some cases, you might be able to have sort of a group chat over your kind of Slack or your team's kind of chat function. So be sensitive to the medium and what type of, what's the best way to kind of have those conversations. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, make time for informal check-ins. Like we do have to communicate about what work has to get done, but it's also important to just communicate in general about how people are doing and how people are feeling. Um, and so having those informal times with your, with your team members one-on-one -on -one to check in on how they're feeling is really important. And that kind of moves nicely into the fourth kind of idea, which is around really providing, uh, providing space for people to recharge. And this is around um, really trying to watch out for and minimize the risk of burnout. So I do a lot of work um, on burnout and really trying to find ways to address kind of burnout across organizations. And this one um, is a really important one in that sense. So really checking, making sure you're checking kind of the energy levels of your team. Um, so science, so watch for signs and signs of strain and burnout. So we know that there are certain things that happen when normal stress becomes strain, which becomes burnout. So people start to be more exhausted. You might see people sending emails late at night and then they're online early in the morning. Um, there's level, a level of apathy can tend to be, tend to develop. So you might see people get more cynical, have lower patience with their team members, um, and then also kind of lower self-esteem or uh, feelings that they're not adding value. So these are kind of signs of stress becoming strain. And I think that's really important to watch out for. Um, and it's important to kind of take off-screen breaks. Again, like detaching from work and having that time off-screen is really important. Um, I have some colleagues and clients who have been running you know, lunch and learns at lunchtime and fun games in the afternoon to keep people engaged. But there's a risk to that because all of a sudden, every interaction at work is now over a screen. Whereas before we'd work, but then we turn and we talk and then we'd go to a meeting and we talk. And, and there's been a few articles that came out, come out about Zoom burnout. And, and, you know, it is real, like it's not normal to be having a meeting with someone where you're looking at yourself and you're looking at everyone else there's it's a lot of it's a lot of things to process that ends up sort of draining your energy in addition to all of the demands outside of work that are on your plate 
plus sort of the fear and anxiety about what's going on. It's a lot, it's, it's a lot. So really giving people, uh, maybe not always opting for that, like fun game, like giving people kind of 15, 20 minutes just to just log off. And that might mean, um, you know, a, a company wide, no Slack, no teams, no message for like 15 minutes and really make sure people have off screen time. Um, the other point here is around making sure team members are socializing with each other. Um, obviously, social support is one of the biggest buffers to managing burnout from, you know, high pressure work or high workload or um, anything like that. So making sure team members are not just talking about work, but interacting in a way that, you know, they're laughing, like those types of things really can re-energize you. And one of the things that I've heard more recently is around new team members who are starting. Um, new team members don't have those connections already made, and they're more alone um, than the rest of the organization. So really making sure whether it's establishing a buddy system or something for people to check in on a daily basis, just to see how people are, how their work's going, um, and with new employees, especially. Um, and then the last point is just encourage activities that can increase energy levels. So, you know, I've heard some people running, um, you know, yoga classes in the afternoon for, for their organization to make sure people are, you know, getting energy and being physical. Um, also, I think another important point is, you know, reconnecting people to their purpose. Uh, obviously, our what motivates us right now to work is a little is going to be a little bit different than it did before. We're now worried about our health and our family's health. And so our purpose at work might be a little bit sort of eroded. So making sure to sort of remind people why, you know, why we're here and what we're doing. It's, it's a good distraction to sort of all of the stress, but it also can help sort of re-energize people. And then the last is really around, um, I went back and forth of whether to make this last or first, um, because this is really about taking care of yourself as a leader and a manager. It's about you uh, both taking care of yourself as well as serving as a role model for your team. So as leaders and managers, it's not just what we say that our team listens to, it's what we do and what they see. Um, so being able to kind of model kind of some more um, healthy work behaviors is, is really important. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, this session was really focused on team management, but there's a lot of um, articles being posted on LinkedIn around, you know, best practices of how to manage your routine and make sure you're, you know, you're, you're setting up those boundaries and things like this. So, you know, I think that that is really important to be able to have a routine for yourself, have clear boundaries and maintain them. Um, I know for me, I have some people who are working with me now who, even though I tell them don't work on the weekend or don't work on Saturday, cause I do not, you know, I don't work on Saturdays for sure. Sundays in the evening, I might, I might log in, but I'll still get an email on Saturday. And I have to remember, don't respond, even though, you know, he's working and then that's really great. Don't respond because that's your time. And you want to make sure that you're not, you're, you're honoring your own boundaries. And that's something that your team needs to do as well. Um, and lean on your support network. Sometimes being a manager and a leader is, is the loneliest job. You don't have that camaraderie of the team around you. So, you know, connect with other managers and leaders every once in a while and, you know, find out what are, what are some of the challenges they're facing? Like a call like this is great. This is exact check, check, check on that point. Um, this is exactly kind of the, the, the realm that you can do that where you can, you know, learn from each other and share and share challenges and these types of things. And then finally be patient with yourself. This isn't easy. Um, it's trial and error. I've been working from home for the probably the last eight months, um, more so than before. And only in the last sort of three, have I really figured out what the right routine is for me. And that's by trial and error, like learning what works and what doesn't stepping back, you know, trying the next week, something different. And, you know, it's, it's really sort of, um, 
you have to be sort of open to, to, to learning in this, in this sense. So be compassionate with yourself and be compassionate with your team. Um, and those are sort of the five ideas. There's a lot in there, but, and there's a lot of kind of other things that, you know, I didn't touch on, but I wanted to touch on what I thought was, if you're going to th think of five, focus on five things, what should they be? And I think the main point here is working remotely is not new, but working remotely during COVID-19 is. So we still have a lot to learn. Um, that being said, I just saw a news article from Dr. Teresa Tam saying that we will, there is, you know, desire to start working, to start going back to opening up some businesses. So although we might not all be working as remotely for, you know, you know, as long as we think, or, or maybe we will, but I think what we do know is that this situation will, will kind of shift a lot of organizations to work remotely more than they were before. So it's always good to sort of brush up on what are so, those kind of best practices and, and keep learning um, about what else you could do differently. Thank you for listening to Five Good Ideas with Christine Yip. We link to her five good ideas, her resources, and a full transcript of today's session in our show notes. You can find all of our Five Good Ideas sessions from past seasons on the Maytree website at maytree.com forward slash five dash good dash ideas. And you can subscribe to the Five Good Ideas podcast to continue to listen to our best sessions. See you next time.